What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Hunt Harvest Health podcast. Uh, so this podcast I'm going to be putting out today is uh, it's my good bro- buddy Brian Barney. We uh, we had the chance to uh, well, I had the chance to just run down to his place. He's just down the road. Um, he lives down in Ennis. I'm up here in Three Forks, so he's nice and close. Hopefully, get to do a lot more podcasts with Brian. Um, and Brian's just one of my favorite guys. He uh, he lives he lives hunting. He lives backcountry hunting. He's just a real positive, real positive guy. Fun to be around. Um, you can tell just by talking to the guy in any conversation. He's he's just super passionate about what he does, what he loves. Uh, hard worker, uh, man, good guy. Uh, he's got his own podcast, Eastman's Elevated. We're going to be uh, putting both these out to uh to our audiences i guess so um yeah i met brian oh man i think i met brian on one of the death hikes i think it was a couple years death hike there in in idaho and uh got to see what he was all about super tough guy trains like crazy he uh he puts in the time he puts in the work he shoots a lot he dials in everything and that's why he's He's just ridiculously successful, and he's been doing this a long time. So, a uh, whole lot of respect for Brian Barney, um, which is is why I'm super excited. I get to I get to do these podcasts with him. Just kind of relive hunts, talk about his strategies. Uh, we'll just kind of go back and forth. This podcast, we uh, we're still reliving our uh, our. Uh, it's, that's in the rear view a little bit now, but our recent coos deer trip down there, I uh, I was down there with uh, Brian Call and David Brinker and a whole host of other guys, and then uh, Brian was down there as well with a couple of his good buddies. Uh, similar time frame, but he he uh, I was messaging him a little bit when I was down there, and and he ended up uh, getting a getting a buck. His buddy got a buck. So they had a really successful trip, and I uh, I really wanted to kind of go over and hear his story, hear his strategies. Uh, he's been doing this for a few years and figuring it out. And he's definitely fallen in love with this coos deer hunt, which I am oh so new at. So I'm just figuring it out, but I've got a lot to learn. And uh, you know, I think hooking up with guys like this and hearing their techniques, what they've seen, what they've noticed is really going to help me um, kind of further this, what I think is going to be a serious addiction, and that's uh, coos deer in January with a bow. So um, yeah, real happy to sit down, talk with Brian. Uh, I think there's some pretty good information there hearing from him. I tell my story, he tells his, and, uh, and yeah, we just get after it. So anyways, uh, enjoy the podcast. And, um, and yeah, one more, this will be probably the last time I talk about coos deer, but, uh, man, you can, you can tell I, I kind of found a, uh, a new little piece of, uh, hunting that I just didn't know existed out there this year. And so I'm still kind of, uh, reeling from that and, and loving to, uh, go back over the stories and, and talk about it. Really, really looking forward to the future, um. You know, chasing those little deer down there in the desert that time of year and figuring it out even more so. So, all right, here we go.
Okay, I'm here with Itton Down. Uh, he made the run over to Ennis tonight, and so um, we thought we'd get together and talk coos deer. And I really wanted to save the content for the podcast, but both me and you were so excited we couldn't <laughs> help but start talking upstairs. But we finally uh, hit the record button. I uh, know, no, no sooner did uh, I step in the door here and it went straight to coos deer hunt. How it went, <laughs> like uh, all the all the exciting things that we had happen. It's it's almost impossible not to, because uh, you and I are a lot alike. I mean, we both have like these hunts just mean so much and they're just so exciting and especially this one because it was new for me but uh no definitely no glad to be down here again uh it's gonna be nice living this close to you brian because uh i think we'll get a lot of podcasting in yeah it's gonna be really nice a lot of podcasting running hopefully hunting those running. critters are in trouble yeah hopefully yeah, yeah this, i love this valley it's just a phenomenal place I mean, shoot, I was pulling into your driveway here, and I think I saw, I don't know, was there about a dozen dozen muleys right across the field from me? It's pretty awesome. Yeah, love I just it. love living in the mountains and with a view. Yep. I think there's there's something to it. I think it really helps your mood. It helps you let things go. You're not in traffic all the time. And everywhere you look is like a painting around here, whether it's Three-Fourths or Ennis or oh, Bozeman. So, but That's I, so funny you say that. This morning, um, on my drive, every morning I drive my daughter to school. So I go from Three-Fourths to Bozeman. And uh, this morning I told my daughter, I said, man, it's like we're driving into a painting, isn't it, Bailey? Because every morning where I'm heading um, – to Bozeman, it's that's the sunset or the sunrise is right there. So you got this big orange pink sky. Um, yeah, I've noticed in myself, my wife's made comments as well, just uh, more relaxed, uh, more at peace. And it's just, it's just a great place to live, man. I just love this. I love this valley. I love uh, where we're at. And um, it's just a better way of life for me, for us. So now yeah. my family's digging it. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's, um, it it gives you some good perspective too when you live in other places and you've dealt with the traffic. But yeah, it, yep. it seems like it's a breath of fresh air. You know, you you get here, the traffic slows down. Yep. You know, really nice people, nice community. Everybody's visiting. Like I just like the feel of it. Yep. And um, yeah, it's something to to wake up every day and appreciate where you're at and your surroundings. And you know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, even if I'm working hard outside in the cold. Like I've I've got a view in my office every yep. single day. Oh, you live in an amazing place here too. Um, yeah. In fact, la last time I was here, I, I took a photo because I could see your house and I could see the mountains in the backdrop. I mean, it's just incredible. Mm -hmm. So literally living the dream out here in Montana right now. Yeah. It's a cool spot. Well, yeah. Thanks for running down tonight. I, I'm just, um, I'm so glad that you fell in love with the coos deer adventure. Like I did. It's <laughs> such a great opportunity for, for blue collar bow hunters to improve their skills and have a true adventure in the desert. And it's fairly easy to find populations. I mean, they're, they're one of the toughest deer to hunt in North America with a bow, but we get to hunt the best units in the best seasons. I mean, aren't those things fun? Man, I, uh, I think the first thing I said when I came in is I'm addicted. It's like, <laughs> and I've done it once. I've only done it once. Um, no, so glad I got down there and you're right. It, it really felt like after seeing how these deer act and where they're at, it really felt like this is like the pinnacle of challenges. Like, I don't think it could get any tougher chasing these guys down with a bow and in such a, you know, a, a unique place in such a great state down there. But no, uh, I've been wanting to do that hunt. I've, I've heard, I've heard guys like you talk about this hunt. I've heard Randy talk about this hunt down there and it's just like, uh, 
it doesn't really set in until you get down there and you see it for yourself. You know, I, I guess it's just one of those things. Um, I was never like crazy excited about coos deer. I've never been a whitetail guy like you. I've been a mule deer chaser forever. But then you get down there and it's like, holy smokes. I mean, it's for a bow hunter. It really is. It's like the cream of the crop because you have to be, you really have to do every single stinking thing right or you're not coming back with a buck in the back of your truck. So, no, I, I really enjoyed myself down there. Um, I, in fact, people are probably getting tired of hearing me talk about coos deer, <laughs> even on the podcast. I, um, that, that's couple, me. It's an influx of coos deer information yeah. about every January, February when I get yeah. back because I'm so hooked on it down there. No, you, you have to be. And it's funny because, you know, something I noticed the other day is, you know, I just had this long, we all did. We had this long drawn out fall season where we, we hunted hard you know, from August through November. And I had all these, these mule deer hunts that were great, you know, Nevada and Colorado. And, um, and there's such awesome hunts, such great places that, you know, the places that mule deer take you and mule deer has always been my number one. I mean, ever since I can remember, always like, like mule deer. I know a lot of people like elk, a lot of people love whitetail, um, always mule deer, but I find myself right now, I'm thinking about these coups. Obviously, it's fresh on my brain, but I feel like I I think before I felt like mule deer, like real large, mature mule deer bucks, was the pinnacle for me. Like if I could arrow a big, you know, fully mature mule deer buck, um, that's like the cream of the crop. That's like that's like it. That's the dream. Now I'm seeing these tiny little stunted whitetail down in the desert. And, you know, after seeing how they act and figuring it out, it's like, man, I, this may be the, the pinnacle because um, it's a little bit different country. But uh, as a bow hunter, and if you're really into the challenge of a hunt, I don't see how it can get any tougher. There's things I haven't hunted, obviously, um, probably quite a few things. But at this point in my life, um, those things are just they're just so sketchy and turned on and whatever you want to whatever words you want to throw. Um, there's just, you have to do every single thing right to be successful. And, you know, this year I feel like I, I feel a little guilty because I, I arrowed my buck so fast. I don't think that's going to happen. I I'm, I'm predicting years of probably frustration <laughs> at this point from this point on. So, well, you're really good at seizing opportunities and you got the perfect opportunity on that coos deer. So we can get into it and tell the story, but like, yeah. um, my, my buddy that, that Miguel that's hunted him down there his whole entire life. And I made friends with them last year. And then I hooked up with them a day hunting this year. But he says like, like the rut is the blessing and the curse with coos deer. They rut more aggressive than any deer I've ever seen in my entire life. When they're rutting a doe, they chase her miles. Yeah. Like there was one day I saw 13 bucks and didn't get a stock because every time you see them, they're running a doe and you just can't catch up to them. I'd go look for them where they disappeared or where they went over or try to capture the right vantage points but they rut extremely hard and so they're always moving yeah. so the opportunity that you're looking for is when they get a hot doe and the hot doe gets tired the hot doe beds down and then that buck has to protect her yeah. from other satellite bucks around there and so then he actually holds still for a little bit <laughs> and you get an opportunity to move in but you're 
you're so good. You've been bow hunting for so long now that you know what you can get away with and what you can't. And so you got close and then let it all kind of progress and let it, let it kind of come to fruition and and come together. It's really cool. Your story. I'll let you tell it, but man, it's just awesome. I just think it's, you're so good at capitalizing on opportunities. Yeah. Well, you know, when you think about you, you presented a situation and even prior to me going down there, um, you know, I've heard about these coups and, and how people hunt them and, I've heard what everybody talks about is you see one, and even if you see him bed down, you know, by the time you get there, you're going to have a hard time relocating him first off. Um, you know, it's everything looks the same. But most likely, he's probably going to have moved on if they're rutting hard, you know. They're, they're not going to be there anyway But by the time you get there. Um, but, yeah, the classic situation happened to me on that, and that was, uh, you know, hot dough. Um, you just can't beat that scenario. Plus, wind. uh that made for the perfect amount of noise. It made for a direction that I didn't have to worry about, you know, um, blowing any of the other group out. There was a bunch of deer in this little, this little, uh, spot. So you found like a, a pocket of deer and yeah. there was a hot doe in there and, and this buck that you ended up killing, which was a, a really nice coos, a world-class. So he was rutting that doe hard, right? So crazy story. So I, uh, first day we got down there, um, you know, I was hunting down there with uh, David Brinker and Brian Call, and there's a whole another big group of fellows back at the uh, Airbnb that we were staying at. Um, but we all just happened to get together and go go this one morning, first morning. Um, spotted a buck, spotted a quarter Monday, and we kind of split up. I went off by myself. I was looking for this kawadi. Ended up on this just per- picture perfect glass and knob. Um, those guys had seen a buck, they were going after it. I located a buck that was a long ways away. Um, couldn't tell exactly how big he was, but I could tell it looked like a pretty good buck. Again, I'm so uneducated on these coos deer, you know, they're, they're just so tiny compared to when you see a, a mature mule deer. But I made the hike, um, I don't know, it was maybe a mile and a half or something like that, a roundabout way, and, and got to a spot where I could just kind of sit back and watch and see if I could relocate this sucker. And lo and behold, I ended up, it took me a while, but I found him. Um, there was a group of deer bedded down on the very bottom of this valley. And it was a really steep, you know, steep draw, some, quite, a, quite a few rocks. It wasn't those, uh, those type areas where there's a lot of yellow grass or anything like that, where it's a little more gentle. This was a pretty steep, rugged, almost kind of reminded you of a mule deer spot. Well, I relocated that buck. He was bedded down under this big old dead tree. And, um, geez, I, I could see the main trail going down and out of there. And I, uh, I ended up making a play on that buck that night, got down to within 105 yards and couldn't get any closer. Hoping, hoping, hoping that, uh, that he would actually cut down Valley and give me a pretty good shot. I'd get about a 35 yard shot if you came down. Um, but that was kind of my strategy going into this because it was dead quiet. Everything was dry. Everything is noisy. It's hard to be as quiet as you can be up on a mule deer hill. Right. But they ended up long story short, they ended up going up, um, opposite of me and, and feeding away. And he chased that doe and, um, I think it was like four or five does, but so I didn't get a play, but that night, I mean, I was convinced that at that point I knew he was a really phenomenal buck, um, just from the photos I've seen and whatever. Um, 
but I told the guys that night, uh, that's the buck I want to go for. I'm going to go back and I'm going to spend however many days it takes to try to hunt that buck. Um, you know, hoping that that doe would stay in there and one of those does and he wouldn't move off too far. I don't know me not being as educated on these little coups. I, I just figured there was a handful of does. He's probably going to stay in this little draw. Now it could have went completely opposite. They could have, he could have buggered out once that, you know, he bred that doe and got out of there. I don't know. But next day I got in there and, uh, they had moved quite a ways up drainage, but, uh, same glass and spot ended up, uh, when I relocated him, ended up, uh, watching him come down to another buck, uh, smaller buck, buck we called Gimpy. It looked like he broke his, la- his uh, back right leg. And, uh, it's interesting because I watched those things for probably two hours that morning and they just, you know, they weren't bedding up. They were just, there was like a rut frenzy down there, just going nuts, chasing the doe around, um, other does getting out of the way and he just wouldn't leave her alone. But a few things that I, I was picking up on is, um, just how cagey, cause I could tell he was old and mature at that point, but man, it seemed like, so the doe would kind of stay out in that, in kind of more of an open area and feed. But when he stopped, he'd stop in the, in the oak brush and he wouldn't move. I mean, he just dead still, uh, almost like a statue. And it wasn't until that doe either got a little bit out of sight or flicked her tail or started to move a little bit, um, that he would actually make a flinch and move. So, you know, because I know he's there, um, I'm just keeping my eyeballs focused right on to where he is. But I could have easily seen just coming up to that spot at any one of those times where he was frozen and just not pick them up. They blend in so well, um, especially in that oak brush. I mean, they just, if the shade's not perfect or, you know, the lighting or whatever, they just blend in. And you'll find yourself running your glass across and not picking up a deer and then running it back across and you see like a flick of a tail or whatever an ear and you're like man i just looked across that how did i not see that before but man they are just really really difficult to pick up so long story short i ended up uh watching that buck for hours that morning he ended up uh chasing that other buck away um i watched him breed that doe which is which is pretty cool and then they kind of went up and over this little hump and, um, and bedded up in this little sliver of oak brush. So what I did, um, and the wind was, the wind was just perfect. It started that morning, um, you know, a, a good directional, uh, kind of a Southwest, um, wind. And I thought, man, I mean, the way that they were feeding, the way that they were moving, um, just kind of looking at the terrain from where I was, I, I picked up a spot that it looked like I could probably get to where I'd get in close. Um, my strategy being the whole time, get close enough to where you don't blow it. Um, and let them make the mistake, let them come to you. I just could not figure out a way that I was going to get in tight enough in that little spot and be quiet enough with those many, that many does and eyeballs and, and just how twitchy they were. So, um, kind of uh, sitting back, looking at the spot. I backed off that knob. I ended up getting in my truck, um, which is probably a quarter mile back, drove around and took a really, really long roundabout way to get down there, hoping that buck was still going to be in that valley. And um, 
so by the time I ended up getting back, it was, it was later in the day, uh, relocated what I thought was the same buck, but it happened to be another good size buck. So there was, you know, three or four other bucks running around those, you, you kind of watch how those, those, those deer act and it's funny, they'll stay still and then they'll just, they'll sprint like 50 yards and they'll do like a little rodeo, like giddy up, you know, and it's, it's just fun to watch. And that buck will sometimes just stand there and watch them until they stop and then he'll, you know, bird dog them. And, uh, so I got, I got a bird's eye view just watching this whole thing pan out. Little bucks getting chased off, uh, the big buck just going crazy and, and then just staying statue at times. And so, um, by the time I got to this, there was this one big tree up on the hill and I got behind that. I could have a really good view of everything at that point. There was a little, a little valley. It's kind of a rock valley that, that kind of cut down into the main drainage of where they were, that well, they were on the opposite drainage at that point. But assuming that those deer were going to keep kind of continuing to feed that direction, um, they were going to go up this little cut. Well, the valley just to my left intersected that cut. It probably, I don't know, it was about 100 yards for me to get down to that cut. And so my best play at that point with the directional coming in my face was get down there, um, you know, as slow as possible, you know, you got your bow on your legs. You're just inching your way as slow as possible. Getting into that cut. And once I got into that cut, I could actually move and, uh, and get a little closer to where it intersected. And so I got down there and I could, you know, you hate to peer over rocks and kind of, you know, reassess the situation, but you have to, right? You have to look. And so uh, once I got down in there, you know, I did just that. I'd, I'd get to the spot and I got to where I was... Uh, 26 yards from the opposite side of that other wall, basically. So the drainage that they were going to assume, assumedly they'd, they'd come up. And so I knew it'd be a top pin type shot if they were walking the, the main little trail that came up that. Um, so, you know, it, you, down when you're that tight, it, it could happen so dang fast. I had a doe just blast by me at one point. Um, I didn't know if it was the doe, it wasn't the doe. I uh, had another couple little bucks racing around and, and if you watch those things, like I said, they just, at times they just race away or they, they'll run 200 yards in a big circle and end up right where they were. A lot of times they never offer a shot. No, they just move it they so just much. keep moving. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I, uh, you know, I had all the luck in the world with me that day, obviously, because it's probably three 30 in the afternoon and, um, and I've been watching these deer all day long. And at this point, I still assume that the big buck that I'm looking at, I'm not looking at him too close during that whole stock. I'm just assuming that's the buck I watched all morning long. Mm -hmm. Big buck, same spot, same other cluster of deer. And, uh, and then when I got in, I was about 80 yards from kind of where most of the action was going on and, and his doe was. And then, you know, you throw the glass up and it's like, dang, but this rack looks a little bit different. Like it's a little more curled in at the front. It's got a fourth tine on it. It's like that bucket wasn't a four on that side. And so, um, I'm trying to do the math. Like what happened here? Like, how did I miss? Well, some, I guess when I relocated, um, this bucket moved in another mature bucket moved in and whether that other buck that I'd watched all morning got booted out or he just picked up a hot dough and he just took off. And then 
this buck picked up another hot doe. I have no idea. But um, it was like the perfect situation. I mean, you just, that's what you dream about, something like that. Because no sooner, I mean, I got down to that spot and it wasn't but a couple minutes and that buck or that doe sprinted up that draw that the draw that I was in, I was in the little intersection draw to that main draw and that doe sprinted past me. And, you know, I'd done every calculation in my head at this point. I think, you know, you just think of every little thing that you don't want to screw up. You think about your shot, you think about, um, your yardage, you think about everything, not making a, not making a mistake at that point. Um, so the one thing that I had heard many people talk about is how they can matrix your, your arrow, right? They're just that fast. Like a lot of white tail, if, um, if they're on to you or like axis deer, like mm-hmm. you've chased the axis deer. Um, you know, I've heard people say, shoot a little low, um, just because, you know, that first initial jump at the, at the sound of the bow going off, they'll duck down a little bit and, and that's kind of where you want to put a little low. Well, I was pretty dang close um, at that point. Like I said, it was a top pin shot. Um, so I knew in my head, I was just thinking, all right, I got to stop him, but I also got to have that arrow releasing at the exact moment that I stopped that, this buck. So, um, you know, that's just what was going through my head. Uh, everything from holding the bow to making the shot, you know, count. So, you know, that, that doe sprinted past me. And, uh, and then what I've got is a rock wall on my right in this little cut. It's probably like a seven foot cut. So I'm squatted down and, uh, and sure enough, I know that buck's coming cause this is the doe. And, uh, and so I've got one little tree in front of me. There's like a two foot gap between where I first see him, this little tree. I draw back actually before he, he hit that tree and he's going pretty fast and uh stopped him you know with just a little mouth um noise and basically let that thing fly at the same time and it could not have worked out any more perfect i mean 18 yard shot he spun he took off down and i just basically i sat down at that point i didn't even want to look and see you know down the draw and um yeah at that point i started talking into my phone telling the story (laughs) but that's how it worked out and uh i gave it some time I didn't need to, um, I could see my arrow, my arrow clean pass through and it had stuck in on the other side and some yellow grass. So I finally gave it some time and kind of recorded everything and how it worked out. And then, so I went over there and found the bloody arrow and, um, man, I mean, you could look down 30 yards down this little cut in the flat of this draw and see that buck piled up down there. So that was just a huge, huge sigh of like, holy, well, first I just, it's like right after I released that arrow, I mean, you just can't believe that just happened on a coos deer. I mean, I put these things up with like one of the hardest critters um, from what I've heard. And um, yeah, it just happened. Second day, mm-hmm. second day. Well, and you, you, you can't, um, you know, you can't make it happen on the last day always, right? Like sometimes <laughs> it happens quicker than that, but no, it's just yeah. an opportunity where you caught that buck and you caught hot dough in that drainage and yep. then capitalized made the right moves you never uh they were never aware of your presence as you kept stealthy as you were moving in and as you were observing them and making a good game plan got the wind right and uh 
you know, you just made the right moves and well, it came together and capitalized on the opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. And prior to that, you know, I had a couple experiences getting in, in close to deer, not on stocks, but uh, some does. Mm-hmm. And uh, they pick up everything. Everything. Every single movement, they're on you. And they will stay on you. Um, I don't know if they'll stay on you longer than a mule deer, but they'll stand frozen waiting for you to make a move forever. In any flinch, and they're oh, gone. Yeah. They react yeah, yeah. really quick. And I'm assuming that has to do with um, you know, just the country they're in, the amount of predators they have down there. I mean, cats are after them all the time. I've watched a mountain lion. Well, I didn't watch it actually kill a deer last year, but it had the deer dead, and then I watched it drag it all the way across the hillside, a mountain lion Dang. sitting from my vantage point. So, yeah. yeah, those those mountain lions, they wreak havoc on them. And actually, there's been a few documented cases of jaguars yeah. that come up that have been in the U.S. that have been photographed in some of those southern mountain ranges. So yeah. if you can imagine a 250-pound spotted cat hunting those things. <laughs> like so, so they're really switched on to the predators. Yeah. You know, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it seems like every noise, everything you do, do, they're on to you they're on you yep and so it's uh yeah they're just uh no fun fun animal to hunt well and they blend in so well like you yeah. you you tell people that they blend in but they they're one of the toughest animals they are the toughest animal that i've ever had to glass for when they hold still they can be in the wide open 200 yeah. yards away from you and you don't see them or like you say yeah. in that oak brush or the ocotillos or a little bit of shadows yep. but but their whole coat is this camouflage and so they're called the gray ghost and for a reason they yeah. live up to the reputation they you take it, your eyes off them for a second and sometimes you can't find them or can't even tell yeah. your buddy where they're at they're just amazing oh, man. That way. You, you learn that very very quickly um whether it's you know trying to show another guy like yep oh i see a buck and then you know you you tell him and then you get off the glass and you're like dang it where is he you know you'd never you 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 figure out pretty dang fast that you just don't come off of that glass nope. no Not- i i kicked myself the <laughs> one time i saw a good buck and i saw him headed in there and yep. whoever was with me and me was logan or i had coulter drove down another buddy of mine that hunted with me for a day or so but I just told him where it was and tried to get the scope on him. I knew the exact spot and I lost him. He was yeah. gone. I was yeah. so mad at myself for taking my eyes off him. Uh, and yeah. I finally picked him up again. You just don't get frustrated and keep staring around at those spots. But it's amazing how quick they can de- disappear on you. A lot of times you think you have them pinned down in a timber patch and you never saw the doe. You never saw the buck leave. You know they're right in this patch of cover. And you go there and they disappear on you. They sneak out. Or you'll yeah. even have a buddy that sits on the vantage point, keeps his eyes on that exact spot as you stalk in. And like last year, I sat above a spot for two hours waiting for a buck to move. It was never there. He <laughs> snuck out on us. You know, they're they're oh, yeah, um, they're just that. so sneaky the way they, they move around. And they cover so much country too. Yeah. Like um, – yeah, I've, I mean, I lost I lost deer in yellow grass. Yep. I lost deer in those patches, you know, the Okatias and all that, um, dirt patches, because <laughs> it's almost like uh, it's like they're a chameleon because of the, the coloration of them. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain, but, um, you know, there was like some bare dirt type patches. And I would, like I said before, I'd run my glass over and it's like, I just don't, I don't see them unless I am like really, really, really slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, focusing on every single little thing, but it's usually when they move. But yeah, really, really difficult to glass. Um, you I don't was... see all the deer your first pass through. It no. takes hours no. on those vantage points to figure out what deer are around. 
Um, and, and they just hide and disappear so well. You think yeah. you're sitting on a master vantage point, and they'll go in the 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 one crook or the 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 one sliver that you can't see, or over a ridge, and then they're gone. Even though you can see ten square miles of desert habitat, sure. and they just disappear on you. Yeah, well, those little desert folds. I mean, they're deceiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and they don't have to be very deep because let's face it, these things are tiny. They're short, and uh, you know, I was told like a year like this where it's really wet. Um, the grass was a little bit taller, maybe, mm-hmm. um, that may have had a little bit more to do with, <laughs> we were losing them in yellow grass, but, uh, they just, unlike a mule deer, mule deer just stick out, mm-hmm. you know, they're just way taller, the coloration, you know, the rump, everything, they just stick out and they got bigger antlers and bigger ears and all that. <laughs> but, uh, but no, these don't, these don't. So does were extremely hard to pick out. Mm-hmm. unless they were moving yep. so it was it was a lot of fun i i don't know what you run for glass down there but uh man i brought some big boy glass with me this time i ran some of those uh 18s and i've never hunted country really where i thought about 18s um but this wasn't like a backcountry style hunt so you know brought the big ones out and i mean that was like the best thing ever mm-hmm. having those 18s on a tripod so really really happy that i brought those mm-hmm. but that's kind of what it took um, I think a lot of guys will run 15s or mm-hmm. whatever, um, but you kind of need something like that magnification-wise just, just to pick out those little subtle things mm-hmm. um, amongst the oak brush. So Yeah, I, you know, I have um, – yeah, so I run my 10s super high-quality glass on tripods and then my scope. Yeah. And um, I, I glass with buddies with the big glass, and they do really well with it. And then Coulter's got a pair of 15s, and I've used those before. I would like a pair of 15s, but I like the 10s. I could yeah. pick out a bunch of those things. And the deal is is I could pan through country quicker. And yeah. so I ended up catching more deer because I had a wider field of view. Sure. So I, I would catch you know more of the deer moving around because I'd get through my pans quicker through there. And it's like every glass power is made for a certain distance. And so up close, it's almost like those high power are too much to really dissect what's right Absolutely. in front of you. But but out a little bit further or like out at the base of the mountain, that's where those 15s or 18s or money or where those guys would pick out a few more than me. For yeah, sure. and what I did was, you know, I'm like you. Typically, um, I run 10s or 12s around my neck, um, and which is what I did over there. Uh, so, you know, initially, I'm always pulling the 10s or 12s up and then glassing and using those. But what I did on this one, which was different, was I ditched the scope and just packed those little, packed the big 18s around. That's smart. Yeah, I like and, that. Uh, and got rid of the scope on that. Um, just seemed like it was a little more comfortable because, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're glassing very slowly and all day long. So mm-hmm. looking through uh, look, looking through the binos versus the scope just seemed to fit a little better. But um, most times, most all my hunts, I pack 10s or 12s mm-hmm. and then run a scope, you know, more high magnification scope. So it's, like it's tough to figure out the right system because every different mountain range is different. Every mm-hmm. different vantage point, every, all the terrain, like it's all different. Yeah. And I think each place that you hunt specifically calls for the right piece of glass to, to glass it, you know, the, to be as, as efficient as you can be. But you can definitely make do with 10s down there. I pick yeah. out a lot of deer with 10s down yeah. there on, on tripod. I really like to tripod up and then mm. it's like this exaggerated spot and stock. So I love the process of hunting these deer. And so, you know, I've said it before, but I think each, 
each different species and each new habitat improves your skill set in a different way. And, and coos deer make me such a better hunter. It's going to make me so much better for next year mule deer season or, yeah. or next year elk season. It just improves your spot and stock game. It improves your glassing game so much. It makes you dial in and tighten up and get all those things right to maybe have a chance to stick an arrow through a coos. And through that process, I just think it improves my hunting skill so much. And, and I think it's, you know, it, it's probably had a lot to do with my success the last few years, really, is it just dials in because you, you really have to find the best vantage points. You can't, I don't think you hunt your way through country with those as good. You just seem to kind of blow them out here and there. Right. And you can't, you know, they're, they're not everywhere either. They're not thick. Like they're spread out throughout that habitat, but you may look over 10 square miles and may see 10 coos deer. Yeah. You know, there may be a, a deer per square mile in some country there, there's no deer. And so you really got to get to those vantage points and just dissect it and really look at your maps and try to figure it out and what gives you the best vantage point and hiking to that before daylight and then sitting up there for a couple hours. And so like I really enjoy that process of hunting them and trying to figure out the vantage points and where they're at. And some days see does in a couple bucks. And like you say, some days you have the right vantage point and you see 13 bucks going everywhere and you run yourself. <laughs> I mean, I ran myself ragged trying to keep up with these. My experience was vastly different than yours. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, I would see these bucks cruising and then I'd have to go and I'd go on adventure for four or five miles and go try to look where they disappeared and grab a vantage point over there. And I'd relocate them just to see them go up over the next rise. And I chase them all day long like that never really being able to get close or even a close call until day five was the first time I got inside of 150 yards on one, even right. though I was seeing bucks every day. Yeah. And that's, and that's like the reoccurring story that I hear from everyone yep. is you see these bucks and you see them running a ridge or you, you know, as soon as you think you might be able to put a stock on, they're gone yep. and they go over a ridge and then almost impossible to relocate. Yep. But, uh, yeah. So I'm curious on your hunt because I don't know if you told the story, but, uh, I want to know how yours panned out and how you ended up making it work. Because mine, like I said, I still feel like I was lucky in that I pinned them down on day mm -hmm. two. I feel like I could go 10 years now and maybe not have that happen. But uh, my strategies in that situation was completely different mm -hmm. um, on a really, you know, ranging traveling buck. Mm -hmm. Mine was getting tight. Let them make the mistake, um, you know, which is something that you would do on a mule deer if, if you just can't get in tight enough, right? Um, that's kind of the name of the game. Let them stand up. Let them come to you. Uh, is the only thing in my mind that made sense to me on that, on something like that. But I'm curious as to your buck. How did you? How did that all pan out yeah. for you? Well, you're such a, a a methodical, well thought out bow hunter that has so much experience that you know what you can get away with and what you can't. And so it doesn't surprise me that you capitalized on a great opportunity. But yeah, mine was was different. So I went down there with a bunch of confidence this year, and I've killed one really good hundred inch buck, and I passed a lot of smaller bucks. But I really feel like I've paid my dues and I've learned a bunch of different areas and drainages and vantage points and mountain ranges. And I, I feel like I've got a lot of experience with those coups. And so I know when to go all in or when to back up. And and even hunting my buddy Miguel that's hunted coups deer his whole life, he'll tell you that I'm way too aggressive on these things. But I, I've got a week to be able to try to get it done. And so for me, I just I like I can't sit back on a vantage point all day. Like I've got to stretch my legs throughout the day too. And so you know, I would get on these good master vantage points and I'd try to locate bucks. And I saw 
a lot of bucks cruising. Like I would average a, a few bucks every day, but a lot of them, they just wouldn't give me opportunities. They'd end up disappearing. And so I'd be watching for a couple hours. I'd find a buck. I wouldn't take my eyes off him. And all of a sudden he'd go over the top of the mountain. And right. so now he's disappeared in a bowl or a basin. And so now it's middle of the day. I can either sit on the vantage point, but I've seen dang near every coos around there. Now I've got a change. So I either go to a different vantage point or I go try to relocate that good buck I saw go over the top. Right. And so then I'd spend the day going after that good buck and I'd get back there and like I say sometimes I'd find him sometimes I wouldn't but I just couldn't get an opportunity every time I'd see a buck he'd be chasing a doe he was off and over he was moving country like I just couldn't catch up to him and I was hunting you know I think you've got like the more open the terrain the better chance of killing those things because you can keep track of them they don't disappear in, in all the brush and so you know I was hunting fairly open terrain so I, I was just having that happen where I just couldn't quite catch up to him and um and then finally you and know, without what? a doe to slow him down I yeah mean, uh, how do you because they're they're rutting they're mm -hmm. never gonna stop right yeah and even a doe sometimes they just chase her where you can't yep. see but i was starting to get closer and closer and really get in the groove of hunting him getting in the groove of finding him in my glass getting in the groove of finding them before they saw me if i was approaching you know and i was starting to get closer on does and bucks i saw two bucks come to this one spot and I tried to cut one off and he ended up going back the way he came, but they kind of disappeared back in this drainage. And so I went back in there and, and I sat in there for three hours glassing that drainage. And then finally I turn up this buck again and he's rutting this doe and it's like, right on. Okay. He's right in this timber patch. And what you're looking for is just like your scenario, like them to pin down that doe and then they stay still trying to guard that doe. And so, yeah. um, I started making a play on that buck and then just sure enough, the doe's back on her feet and up over the top of that ridge. And it's like, oh, so I just couldn't catch up, but I was putting on good miles and I was getting closer and closer. I had a good close call the last day. Logan was with me on a really nice hundred inch three point, had a, an extra little uh, like drop tying on just a really mm. nice old mature coos. Right. And he had pinned down a doe and Gardner versus a two point. And I tried to work around him. And right as I was getting around, perfect wind that day, perfect spot coming over the ridge, he got up and chased that doe. And he actually ran by Logan at about 20 yards where he was trying to video <laughs> from the knob. It was just like typical, but we never spooked him. He went in the next drainage. So then we spent the day looking for him. An hour later, we turn him up again and up over the top, he goes again, chasing that doe. And so it was just running me ragged trying to catch up to him. And any opportunity that I saw or any chance where I'd see a really good 100-inch shooter buck or I, I was looking for like a good mainframe two mature buck. And anytime I'd see one, you know, disappear, or go in a spot, I'd try to get a better vantage. So I just kept playing the game. And um, I located a buck this one night and it was my closest opportunity before I arrowed one. And it was a really cool stock. So, you know, the... You have to be at the top of your game to move in on these things. But I located, um, he was a, a four by five, really tall tined, you know, really heavy. And, and Miguel saw him and thought he was a 110 inch coos. He was a really nice wow. buck. And so I located this buck and it was a scenario I was looking for. He had a doe pinned down and there was two other two points that were trying to get in there and rut that doe and he was guarding against him. And so, you know, now after just being seconds behind the buck, you know, the night before, the day before Logan, now I'm moving, you know. And so I move quick and I get over to him and my approach, the way the wind is and everything, I have to approach on the side of the canyon that they're looking across at. And so I'm in the open, but mm. there's enough brush around and enough stuff. And 
I love stalking when you can keep your eyes on the animals you're chasing, kind of like you did on yours yeah. as you're moving in slow and you're creeping down the hill with your bow on your lap. Because you can see when they're paying attention, when yeah. they're looking at you. Read their mannerisms. You just know exactly how fast you can go yep. and when they're actually at attention. Yep. When they're down, when their head's down feeding or yep. when they're up looking for danger. And so that's what I was able to do is even though they're the wiliest animal, one of the toughest to get in close to, I just kept my eyes on them and kept getting brush in between me and them. And pretty soon I found myself into bow range. And now like I can either sneak through the brush, but it's real noisy, or I can just kind of walk along the brush in open sight of these deer, but wait for their heads to be down and move ultra slow yeah. and just let my camo work for me. And so I just kept creeping in and pretty soon I found myself in range of the two does, but the buck's about another 20, 30 yards, just chasing these other bucks and looking down at the doe. And so I'm in bow range for a half an hour. And finally he comes down to rut one of these does and he comes down to rudder. I get a good range on him and he's broadside but i'm trying to track the two two points this buck the doe that's in heat and then there's two other three other does there and i'm trying to track all their heads and i lose focus for just a minute so he chases this doe he's broadside i got a good range and i go to draw on him he's not looking at me and the doe that he was chasing i couldn't see in the brush and she must have been staring right in my direction and she bolted and took him with him mm. you know i was just like i'd waited and worked Dang. so hard for that opportunity but i just lost that focus like right in that end right in that draw and none of those deer knew I was there. I could have just sat there and waited, you know, but I, I lost track of that one doe looking at the buck, went to draw and got busted. Dang. And then, um, so, but I knew it was going to come together. I just had to keep hunting and I was kind of open-ended on time. And I had my mindset. I was going to arrow a coos deer this year. Like I said, I paid my dues. I've hunted these things. So like how I'm many dialed years, in. How many years have you chased these? So I think this is my, this is my fifth year chasing them. Yeah. Yep. So I've got two deer in five years of chasing them. So you got the bug early. Yep. And, um, <laughs> yep. And my buddies have killed a couple of them and, uh, gosh, I've had some close calls, but I just feel like I finally got it figured out where I've got them dialed in and they're extremely yeah. tough and I'm hooked on it. And the cool thing is I think that hunting is some of the coolest hunting going and the world just hasn't caught on. Yeah. I think it's some of the funnest hunting out there in that desert terrain and tracking those things down and the ultimate challenge. I mean, they're action all day long. Like yeah, you, you and don't, that, and that's why I think you and I are so excited about it and talking about it so much. It's like uh, it doesn't seem like it's getting the respect that it deserves, and and the animal itself doesn't. Just because um, I don't know, I don't know why, but they're so dang hard. And you know, being able to chase them in the rut like this with a bow. And still struggle. I mean, a rutting deer, you know, is always a little bit easier, I would say, but not necessarily on these guys because they're just so small and they're so, you know, they're just moving around so much and they're so wary. So, and they're so evolved to that desert habitat too. They yeah. just don't seem like a whitetail. They live in the mountains. They live in extreme desert terrain. They they blend in perfectly, but they've evolved through thousands of you know, tens of thousands of years to be perfectly adapted to that desert environment and small. And so they're they're just dialed down there, you know, and, yeah. and wiry. And like you say, they're they're everywhere through that terrain from the valley floor to the mountaintops. But they're so tough to kill, you know. And so yeah. I love the challenge. And once you start start hunting them and you gain respect for them, you get hooked on it. So I really think it's some of the coolest hunting going that the guys just haven't found out or done or tried, yeah. but, but it's so fun. And so then it probably is a little intimidating for some just I think so. hearing the, hearing the challenge of it. And, um, 
really, really low percentage of kill, I yep. think, every year. I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but it's it sounds like it's pretty low. Yep, and you January. have to go for the experience. Yeah, yep. exactly. And um, But yeah, and then I finally, that next morning, I knew it'd come together. I hooked up with my buddy Miguel, which just added to the whole experience. So he's born and raised in Nor- Nogales. He works on, as Border Patrol. And he looked me up last year, and, and we've been um, in, in touch ever since. He's just a great guy and a great hunter. He's killed uh, eight bucks in a row over a hundred inches with his bow. Holy smokes. Yeah, he is the coos master. The and master. so I just pick Jeez. that guy's brain on coos deer uh, hunting every chance I get. A lot of the information I have comes from him, but yeah. he um he took the next day off so we could hunt together a day. And so he took a day off to hunt with me and he's just all for trying to help me out to try to kill one of these. I also had another buddy, Coulter, come down, help me glass. Logan came down and helped me glass. So I had some buddies, you know, coming in and out. And I, I just had a blast down there sharing the experience with them and hiking around the desert. But yeah, I hooked up with Miguel. This guy was so inviting. Like he had me stay at his house there and, and uh, you know, eat with his family and, you know, he'd, uh, get together with his friends out there, you know. And, and um, yeah, he's, he's just a, a great guy and he really knows his country. So he took me to a spot in the morning, glassed it up, a bunch of does around. We saw a couple bucks. He talked me out of chasing them. Of course, I wanted to go over the hill and go see where they went. And, you know, it's he's always got to hold me back, you know, but I, I'm always just trying to create an opportunity or trying to relocate them and trying to make something happen. And I always have visions. I see a hundred buck, a hundred inch buck over the ridge. I always have visions that he's got this doe pinned down over there and he's just in the perfect place. And I didn't put the effort to go find sure. him and it just kills me, you know, well, but it's just cause you know, the value of every little opportunity. Yep. I mean, you've hunted long enough to know that uh, all it takes is one little opportunity. And so you don't want to let one slide. I can mm-hmm. see that. Yep. And then, um, yeah, we just caught this buck off the vantage point. He was a mainframe too. I looked at him and thought, yeah, I'd shoot that buck every day. I, I try to pass up on Forkies. I'm looking for mature bucks. I'll have to show you the skull upstairs. He's actually an older buck. I think he's four or five or so, but hmm. just a nice mainframe chocolate horn coos deer, you know, that looked good to me. And he was cruising right by the vantage point. I, do, I was able to just make a quick move down on him, put myself in range. It all happened pretty quick, but, hmm. um, you know, there's such a small target you know, I, I keep going through these, these visualizations and I just, you know, those opportunities are so fleeting to be able to, you know, to get a, an arrow into a good coos or good mule deer or whatever it is. And so I practiced a lot coming into this hunt and I figured it may be a long shot and it, you know, may be my only chance, small target, but I sat on my shot and just absolutely pinwheeled that thing. The shot wasn't even, it was, um, like uh 49 yards is where the shot was oh yeah yeah and just nice. put an absolute perfect arrow into him miguel got to watch the whole thing go down and so, so cool. yeah he he went in the valley in there and and uh actually saw another buck kick out of the valley there but yeah it crushed him i was just so happy you know to get it to, to work that hard at something and just oh, looking man. for an opportunity to get it done and then to have miguel there to share in it so we took care of the buck went home Miguel's garage door had busted the night before, so I helped him fix that. We worked on that a little bit, and then he said, well, let's go back out. I still got a tag, and I was going to hang out and have dinner with him that night and then drive home the next morning. Sure, sure. And so we went out that night. Miguel has hunted dang near every day in January. He's got one stock. Like he just waits for the right opportunity, the right buck. And like I say, he looks for the big ones and he knew where this buck would had been hanging out. And so we went into this area and hit the vantage point and I picked out the buck down below us and he was rutting a doe down there. Just a giant coos. I think it scored 106, but just heavy, dark chocolate horns rutting that doe down there. And, uh, 
Miguel knew it was all in. He didn't hesitate one minute. He says, okay, I'm going, you know, and off he went and got a tree in between him and that deer and moved down, capitalized on the opportunity, made his shot. And I watched that deer tip over down there after he shot it. And so we killed two coos in one day, two Jeez. mature bucks. That's interesting. So he's looking for the same kind of like that perfect scenario. He's not, he's not doing a whole lot of stocks. No. He's looking for the ideal situation. That's what he's looking for. Yeah. And he sees a lot of big bucks, and it's interesting to hunt with them. So like you you relocated that buck, a lot of these bucks I see, I'll see them one day, and then I won't see them for a couple days. Like really? even looking over 10 square miles. But Miguel, like he believes in their home range. And right. so once he sees a good buck and he knows he's in that area, he just keeps going back. And then eventually, three, four, five days later, he'll pick up this deer, and he thinks they kind of have like a like a circuit, like elk, yeah. that they kind of work, and they travel through, and they move through, and then they're back in that country where he saw them. And that's and, kind of like typical for most whitetail, right? Kind of a smaller range, mm -hmm. although they'll do some traveling for the rut. But um, that's interesting because I found, like that buck I told you about the first day I found him, I found him the second day, um, I found him the third day in that same valley. And then it was like day six. We picked him up okay. again. Yes, okay. Um, right in a doe. He would move. And, you know, if you didn't spend a lot of time glassing that drainage, you'd think maybe he'd left. Mm -hmm. But he was there. Um, you know, I mean, I can't say. I guess it was like half mile from the first place I saw mm -hmm. him. Another time he's a half mile over here, but still somewhat in the same general area. And it was just that one nice big buck. Mm -hmm. And it was in a drainage that um, it had cover. It had everything that makes sense to grow an old buck that just never, you know, gets killed. I mean, it's just, they can grow old and die in there. It just felt like that kind of a spot. So that's interesting that he, uh, he goes on that as well, mm -hmm. assuming they have kind of a, somewhat of a range and they don't just bomb 10 miles yeah. like a rutting mule deer exactly well that 110 incher that i about shot i spotted him two days earlier with miguel and we saw him and he he went rutting over the top and we lost him i glassed the whole next day in that area and you can see so much country and my buddy i think my buddy Coulter came down helped me glass this whole area and we saw some bucks and things never saw that buck and then the next day, didn't see him in the morning, and then in the evening, picked him out, like you say, a half mile down the drainage yeah. on that face, living in that same home range. It was that same really tall 110-inch goose. But no yeah, they have a home range and a circuit of country, and so you may not see him the next day, but you know, the day after that, in that spot where I saw 13 bucks, I kept going back to that spot and picking out some of those bucks that I had seen. Now, I right. never saw 13 in the day. That day was fairly crazy. But I'd see like the one with the dropper. I'd seen him before. And so mm -hmm. you kind of see the same bucks in there. But Yeah, and I had kind of come up with this theory um, because, you know, we were picking up some of the more mature, larger bucks in there that, uh, you know, the bigger bucks, those mature bucks, they just don't need to travel. Like we saw some smaller bucks just cruising country. But I'm just thinking, you know, if there's four or five does or six, ten does in this one drainage, why does that big buck need to, you know, cruise and just hit a ridge and take off? So it almost seems like um, maybe some of the less mature bucks, maybe a couple three-year-olds are, are doing more of the traveling mm -hmm. versus the older bucks are going to have more of a tighter home range mm -hmm. where they don't, they just don't need to. You know, they've got those does to themselves and they're not really worried about, unless there's another big buck in the area, of course. But, well, and, you know, every terrain 
every piece of habitat is different, you know, but yeah, I think, you know, that's a lot of my theory when I'm hunting mule deer is I find a drainage that holds 20, 30 does. And I look over that drainage really hard and bucks just show up in there. And same thing with those coos. When you find a drainage that's holding 10, 15 does that, that buck can just live in that drainage or in that area. Now I see him travel quite a bit. Do you? Um, but you know, it's just big desert habitat, and it's all different. Every mountain range is different. Yeah. Every piece of country is different. Populations are different. But I see them travel quite a bit, but still holding that home range. Like I said, yeah. I found that buck a half a mile away or whatever. Well, but. it's exciting to me because i got so much to learn. Like I said, I spent uh, – I think I was down there for seven days, and I learned a whole – I mean, just – whole host of things you know with, with watching their mannerisms and just how they behave but um it's going to be years in the making of trying to figure out how these how these deer uh you know how to like how to be consistently successful mm-hmm. on these deer um i think that's going to be the ultimate goal is to uh how do you become so successful and and consistent versus uh getting handed something like I got handed yeah. to me this year? Consistently successful on mature bucks is is a true feat and me and you both love to embrace the challenge and it's such a great challenge for January. But I, I've just absolutely fallen in love with it. They are yeah. so fun to hunt and it makes me so happy that another backcountry hunter has found <laughs> coos deer and you didn't come back and say, Oh yeah, I killed a big one. I'm 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 back to mule deer because we'll no. always love to hunt mule deer. Yeah. But I, I'm just uh it makes me so happy that you're as hooked on it as I am because I really think it's the the coolest, most undiscovered hunt. And I think I did the whole hunt for seven, eight hundred bucks, something like like that with gas and with my tag and yep. with food and you know i think that was my main cost was the drive down yep it was just that um you know it's very affordable type hunt it's not something you're going to spend thousands of dollars on or anything like that but uh now i i think um you know i never never really assumed i'd hunt whitetail too often because i'm such a mule deer nut mm-hmm. but um whitetail that live in the mountains like that it's a different story. They're different species, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're up top. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. No, but I'm they're... curious, like, say, what if you would have seen, because, you know, with this tag, you can chase muleys, you can chase coos. Um, what if you would have looked down in one of those flats and seen, like, a 170-inch buck running around? What do you think you would have done? You think you would have stayed on the coos? You know, 170-inch buck is a pretty good buck, and I am an opportunist. But, yeah, I get really hooked and tied into those coos where I'm not even looking for mule deer. I'm not yeah. even looking or hunting for them. I'm looking at coos mountain ranges. Like, I just get so much great opportunity to hunt giant mule deer that, um, you know, I kind of go down there for the, the, the different species and the different habitat and soaking in the sun. So. I don't, this year I wanted to hunt muleys a little bit on my way down, but I couldn't help myself. The coos are so action packed down there and so fun, thrilling to hunt a new species. And so I'm just hooked on it where I go down there and focus on that. I have so much great opportunity to hunt muleys. And so for, for me, I'm just hooked on those coos deer. When I start heading down, that is the only thing on my mind is trying to arrow a good coos. Now, if I did see 170 inch down in the valley, <laughs> yeah, you're probably going to see me making a play for it or Bet a stock it on it. A little piece of rim rock. Yeah, right. I, you, I probably can't help myself. You'd have to take <laughs> away my bow. But uh, I really go down there focused on coos, trying to kill a coos, not even thinking about mule deer or looking yeah. for them. I had that conversation with myself on the way down, knowing that uh, – that tag would go either way. Um, hearing about some pretty good mule deer in that that general area down there as well, uh, I kind of told myself just focus on the unique, focus on the coos. Mm-hmm. It's something you want to learn. 
um, you know, you and I have both chased mule deer in various places and that, that is awesome. It's, it's probably always going to be my favorite hunt is, uh, is chasing mule deer in the high country. Yep. But, um, with opportunity at a, at a unique animal like that coos, it's just, I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't lured away down to those lower lands with, uh, with those giant bucks, mm-hmm. muley bucks. But good for you. Well, and I think that's an experience that we all need to embark on too. We just need more time down there. Those <laughs> desert muleys would be really fun too. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's a unique opportunity. And in January when they're rutting, you know, it's, it's like you got this chance to hunt the, the very best units in the world for a coos deer. I mean, there's world-class coos down there yeah. and you get an opportunity to hunt them during the very best season. Rifle guys would wait years five ten years for a tag like we get to go experience with our bow every single year that's why i think it's the coolest thing going that's so undiscovered down there you know that so so i really like going down there and chasing those things around it just makes me so happy that you had the same experience and fell in love with it like i did but um yeah they're gonna be fun for years to come to go down there and chase around i'm curious on your setup did you change anything on your setup hunting um like going from whitetail or i'm sorry mule deer to coos as far as arrow weight anything like that broadhead anything i didn't mess with it too much i found the most aerodynamic arrow or the the most um uh yeah the wind the least amount of wind drift on it uh just so i shot a two blade expandable broadhead that just doesn't capture any wind drift it's like my long range broadhead it opens up to inch and five eighths cutting diameter I just know how tough they are to get close to down there. Now, I'm always looking to get close and kill them, and I'm not looking to, to fire long Hail Marys or anything like that. But, I mean, I I really practiced at my longer ranges thinking my only chance might come at 60 or 70 yards at one of these mature bucks. And sometimes the whole hunt comes down to that, and you get one chance at them standing there. And if you've shot that shot a thousand times, you know, you're, you're, you're willing to make. So I kind of shoot like a um, that two-blade – uh, expandable broadhead that seems to catch less wind drift, but I really didn't change up my arrow setup. I shoot about 450 grains. Gotcha. I like that it's quiet. You know, I don't want a lot of noise. And um, I just spent a lot of time making sure my bow was all dialed and my shooting was all dialed and went down there with just a, a ton of confidence, knowing if I got a sliver of an opportunity, I was going to put a good arrow in them. Right. Yeah, I was, I was a little worried about you know, I, I run a little heavier arrow. I think mine's a little over 500 grains. And, um, I wasn't sure, you know, I've heard just how, how fast these things can jump the string and, and yada, yada. So I was a little worried about that, but I stuck with the same setup that I ran for deer for elk and, yep. and I used it with this and it just worked fine. Yep. Obviously mine was a lot closer shot, but, um, yeah, I've always been curious if guys run a lighter, more of a speed arrow mm-hmm. for these little guys or it wouldn't be a bad difficult. idea. And you've got time leading up to it. You don't need a heavy arrow to get the penetration in them. Yeah. So picking up a little speed, you know, I just don't think 10 feet per second is going to make or break you, yeah. you know? And I, I heard, um, well, reading Chuck Adams book when I was a kid and it, it talked about all the different game species, the 28 in North America. And, and he talked about coos deer. And I remember reading that. And I think that's what planted the seed in my mind of wanting to hunt them. And he talked about how challenging they were. And he also talked about how they jumped his strength. 
And so he thought that they jumped his string when they were closer. So the way he started killing them was actually to take farther shots, the 40, 50, 60 yard shots is how he finally started really? killing those coups that they jump at less. Now I have had really good luck on coups. Um, as far as jumping the string, I haven't had any of them jump the string. Right. Yep. Where, you know, I have had, I've had mule deer jump my string and axis. I, you know, they're a widely switched on deer, but they, they don't seem to get out of the way of my arrow too yeah. much. So, so that's been, been good. I mean, that's just, that's always my worst fear is that you do everything right and get your chance and execute your shot <laughs> and he gets out of the way of the arrow. There's nothing more frustrating. And I, I think that could happen, but I've had pretty good luck with just my, my everyday hunting setup that I use for mule deer and elk and, and gotcha. taking that out there. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been fascinated with hearing people's thoughts on that just because, um, you know, they are such a small target. I mean, they're tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, that that little zone, the vitals are just, they're just so small that um, I was wondering if that's kind of a, um, something that, you know, more, you know, guys that have had a lot of experience chasing coups if they're going with a speed arrow or, or whatever, but uh, that's interesting on a longer shot versus a shorter shot. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it- just not hearing the shot go off at 60 versus a, you know, a 25 yard shot They're They're jumping at the sound. Yeah. That's what Chuck Adams was saying. And I, I always like to get close and kill him. And, and what you did to sneak within 20 yards of that deer and have it all work out. That is so awesome. That's what you're looking to do. And I, I'm always looking to get close and kill him, but that, that terrain is so tough to get close oh, to those man. deer. It's so noisy. They're so switched on and there, there isn't a bunch of cover. And so a lot of times you get stuck watching from 80, a hundred yards out and just letting things, you know, happen in front of you and hoping it works out. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, a lot of the shots over the years, my opportunities, I, I've gotten close shots. I think the, the first one, the big buck I killed was 60 yards but I had one of the satellites come by me at 20 yards and passed on him because I was right on that buck that was bedded at 60. Same scenario, guarding a doe from that other buck. Yeah. And when he stood up, I put a good arrow in him at 60. But um, gosh, I, I missed one one year at like 35 yards. Yep. Hmm. Uh, I can't – I think um, I think I shot right in front of him or something. It happened pretty quick and he was chasing a doe. I think I got a quartering away shot and I, I think I slid it right by his shoulder right there. Just missed my spot by a couple inches. They're so small. They're like shooting at a coyote. Oh, but you, I really focus on my accuracy leading up to the hunt and making sure my shooting is absolutely dialed and, and, um, and then make sure I execute when the coos deer gives me a chance. Yeah. I think the, the, the size and, um, you know, all the people talking about them, um, I was, I shot a lot going into that. Good hunt. for you. I, I didn't have a lot of lead time, uh, you know, knowing about that hunt, I was invited down, but, um, man, I, sh- I took every opportunity <laughs> to really dial it in, just not wanting to get an opportunity down there. Cause I know they're so rare and blow it. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time, um, just shooting off my deck and, um, like you now we've got wind about every day where we are. So that was a, that's kind of nice, actually, mm-hmm. uh, learning it, how the wind works. Isn't it crazy how much uh, the wind oh, will man. drift an arrow at yep. different yardages? It, yep. It's an amazing learning curve. And even just a small thermal wind of just three to five miles an hour, you can hardly even feel at night how much that'll drift your arrow. Yeah, yeah, those longer shots, it's a it's a difference. It's mm-hmm. a big difference. It so, is. no, it's uh, it's kind of a I, – I see it as a big bonus. And it's funny because I got like off my back or my front porch, it's kind of – 
covered. Like the wind isn't hitting me, mm-hmm. but as soon as my arrow gets to off to the side of the house and then I've got two targets down in the grass, um, it hits that wind at that point. <laughs> and, uh, it's like shocking what it does to it sometimes. That's what I do too, is I shoot out of my garage. So I don't like, I do practice holding in the wind, but I don't like to shoot every day holding in the wind because what happens is your pin floats off the target back on and it kind of forces you to make the shot go and teaches, yeah, target panic as you're trying to make it go when it's on the target. So I do the same thing as I shoot inside my garage so the wind doesn't blow my bow around, sure. but I can see the effect on the arrow. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But man, so cool. Well, I, um, I'm so pumped that, that you're as hooked on coos deer as I am. So we'll have to share a camp and share a vantage point down there here one of these years as I'm, I'm yes. sure you're going to be back down. And man, congratulations. What a feat to kill a giant hundred inch coos on your first trip down. But I, I have to say that I'm not surprised. You have so much bow hunting skill. I was. Yeah. I was very surprised. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's a heck of a deer. I really want to see it in person. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me on here. And congrats to you, too. I mean, I saw your buck and um, what a trip you had, you know, hunting down there with Miguel. And um, what a benefit having a guy like that, that you can pick his brain and just, you know, shave so much off that learning curve. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. So. I've learned so much from him. Yeah. yeah. He's a great coos deer hunter, but yeah, That's I just, great. um, I enjoy the process. So yeah, I'll be back down there next year. I'm sure. So, yep. um, thanks a bunch, Ryan. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Okay.